Awesome. Well, I love when things work out. How many here love when things work out? Things go the way they are planned? Um, how many handle things when they don't go well? Like, are you really good at handling things? Is anyone here good at handling things when they don't work out? All right, put your hands really high because the rest of us really need you. 2020 has been your year. All right. Now, who here is good at fixing things when they don't work out? I know Harrison is because I break his stuff all the time. He fixes it. Well, if there's anything about the Christmas story that we have learned so far and that we will continue to learn up until Christmas Eve and for generations to come, is that it is a story where things didn't work out the way that we planned or the way that we wanted them. Uh, I don't know about a time in your life, but my mom raised me in a very sort of carefree way of a, 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 and sort of our motto, if we ever had one, we could easily say something to the effect of, well, don't worry. It's okay. I'm not going to worry about it. And so rightfully so, naturally so rather, uh, I tend to not worry about things too much. And in some cases, it drives people crazy because they look at me for an answer for something or to make a decision and I just kind of go, I don't know. Or I look at me and says, whatever. Or I look at me and I just go, it doesn't matter. Whatever you do is fine. Now, some people who are planners and have to have every T crossed and every I dotted, it drives them crazy, Rebecca. <laughs> and so this is good. I can pinpoint Rebecca because she is not like me, but yet she works close with our office with the bookkeeping and everything, and so it's good. We've built a good team that way, where I kind of go, whatever, and she goes, no, I need you to make a decision or an answer. Let me know what's going on, and, and it works out fairly well. It's the value of team, but what we have learned out throughout the Christmas story is that things have not gone the way that Mary and Joseph intended. You know, they had their life somewhat planned out, as much as young people do. They had the course set for them. I need a table. If someone wants to buy me a tall, round bar table or steal one from Drifters, that would be amazing, okay? I'm sure Frank or Linda won't mind. If you're watching, Frank or Linda, please give me a table. All right. I could just save some money and buy one, but, you know, it's more fun to steal stuff, isn't it? Who here has stolen something? Isn't it way more fun to steal stuff? Right? And what does the Bible tell us about stealing? Only do it if you need a place to sleep. Jesus, manger, scene, okay? Steals the barn. Steals the show. Steals the show of the census. All right. Uh, the last couple weeks, does anyone remember what we've been talking about? Just shut it out. Fear not. Fear not. Put it in capital letters if you're watching online. Fear not. Oh, that's why Katie was giving me the weird stare and why Judy is also texting me. <laughs> Forgot an important announcement to make. <laughs> I'm so good. I look at my phone to look at comments. Thanks, Judy. Um, so, yeah, last, uh, last Sunday, let's take a pause. Fear not. It's actually relevant, but fear not. Last Sunday, we took a pause uh, in our pastor's council meeting, and we sort of talked about um, our response to the COVID-19 uh, pandemic and sort of the second wave where we're at right now. I'm really sorry, this is a really awkward time to have to jump into this. Um, 
but through sort of our discussions, I just asked every one of our members of our pastor's council, the people that we know that God has appointed and ordained to be the leaders of this church. And uh, we just really believe uh, over the next couple weeks that uh, we're going to just transition back to online only for a couple weeks uh, and just watch our numbers in our area and to see where they're at. And so we don't want to... We, we were already planning to do Christmas Eve online, 27th online. And so we'll continue that uh, for January 3rd, moving on. And we just want to make sure that we're keeping you safe, keeping our community safe. And we said, you know, the health unit can tell us what to do or we can make the decision now and transition the way that we want to transition to this next season. And so we just felt we've heard from the Lord that this is the best step forward for us over the next couple of weeks. And so uh, what does that mean? Uh, it means don't show up here in person on Sunday morning, but uh, watch online. And I would say, uh, if you are able to, if you are part of a group of people in a social bubble, uh, get together with them and, and watch church online over the next couple Sundays. And, you know, we, we've actually, since we've made that decision and we've been praying for our, for our area and we've been praying about COVID, uh, we've seen some good news come down the pipe that this past week the cases in our area have gone down. And we haven't seen any new cases, which is an amazing uh, thing to celebrate. And so we give thanks to God for that. And so we just, uh, just take this, you know, one step at a time. And we want to make sure we're doing things well, doing things right, and just making sure that we're keeping people safe. And so if you want to talk about that, questions, you, you have my phone number, 807-375. Does anyone know the last four digits? Because I can't remember. 0031. And if you want questions, you want to complain about it, I will take all of those. And I will say, I am so thankful for you, because uh, you guys have never really complained to me. You have brought things to my attention, which were worth doing, but you have never been a grumbling, complaining congregation. And as a pastor, I can't tell you how, much, how amazing that is, because I have a lot of friends that are pastors, and they deal with the worst Christians ever, okay? It's just true. You guys are amazing. So keep it up. Make others like you, because honestly... Quite honestly, you, you reflect the very person of Jesus every day. And so I just thank you for that. Thank you for allowing Jesus to shine through you and not yourself. Because uh, it just, it, it'll speak volumes to me, which means it speaks volume to the people that are watching us from the outside in. And so keep loving people the way that Jesus loves us. Keep, keep preaching in the best way possible to share the good news of Jesus, the hope that he brings, the peace that he brings, the love that he brings. Keep doing those things. That's what Christmas is all about, to remind us of hope, peace, joy, and love. All four things that Christ brought to this earth. And so we just leave that with you. Again, when things plan to go one way and we end up having to go another, uh, we just kind of we get flexible, we turn, and that's what we do. So uh, we'll just do that in the next couple weeks. And we've been talking about not being afraid. What a year to talk about not being afraid. So the first one was, I don't want to be afraid of what God is asking me to do. Leland, you need to go put that away. No, go put that away now. Either he likes Nancy better than me or he, looked, he saw the look on my face. <laughs> but the first one was about, I, I don't want to be afraid of what God is asking me to do. And we talked about Mary and God asked her to be the mother of the Savior of the world. You know, kind of no big deal, right? 
No big change in plans there. Oh, Mary, by the way, you're pregnant now by the Holy Spirit, and life's not going to look the way that you thought it would. So here's, here's the real. And she responded through that and said, I am the Lord's servant. What you have said, let it happen. And so I think so many times we actually don't pray we don't read the Bible because we're afraid of what God is going to ask us to do. I think there's people that are afraid to go to the church because they're saying, you know, the priest or the pastor is going to get up there and he's going to ask me to give me money. He's going to ask to give up the stuff that I want. Trust me, I will never ask you for your money. I'm only just communicating the fact that God doesn't even really want your money. He just wants your attention. God actually wants your attention. And he, he may use the money that you give to do something great for his kingdom. But it's not about taking what you have earned. It's about giving back to God what is already his. And I have life because God gave me life. And so I want to serve him with every breath that I take. Every move that I make, he's watching me. Okay, just no one caught that song. All right. Last week, we talked about uh, being afraid of what other people are going to think of us. And Joseph was faced with an incredibly difficult decision. He had to decide to stay with Mary or to divorce her, which would have left her likely put to death by stoning. And he said, well, maybe I can divorce her quietly. And he had an incredible experience with an angel who said, fear not, Joseph, for I have a plan for you and I have a plan for this child. You are going to name him Jesus and you're going to raise him as if he is your own and you're going to take Mary as your wife. You are going to lead this child. And so we learned last week that if you're not ready to be criticized for your obedience to God, you're not really ready to be used by God. And of course, before that, we talked about outcome is God's responsibility. Obedience is ours. And today, fear not. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid of what God thinks of you or me. Well, what are you talking about, Pastor Gary? What do you mean, don't be afraid of what God thinks of me? Another reason people don't like coming to church, and you've probably heard these excuses before, they say things like, well, if I were to go into a church, I'd get struck by lightning. You okay? Is that anyone, has anyone ever seen that happen to somebody? If you put your hand up, I'm giving you the microphone. That's a story to tell. If I go into the church, I'm going to burst into flames. Anyone ever hear that one before? If I go to the church, the church is going to burn down. Only if you bring the matches. Please don't, our insurance won't cover everything. But what does this actually come down to? This actually comes down to a, a feeling of, of being inadequate. This comes down to a feeling of not feeling good enough. I'm not good enough to come to church. I'm not good enough to come into the presence of God. And so we decide to be afraid of what God thinks of us. I'm too scared to go. I don't want to know. I don't want to find out. I don't know what will happen if I go to church. I'm not good enough. Pastor Gary is going to look at me funny because I don't belong there because I'm not good enough. I tell you what, I look at everyone funny, okay? Because I look funny. I would rather have a funny looking person here than them not at all. Wait, I'm the funny looking person. I'd rather have you here than you not here at all because believe it or not, the fear that you feel of being inadequate or not good enough, let me let in on a little secret here this morning. You're right. None of us in this room are good enough on our own 
to be in the presence of Jesus. And you say, Pastor Gary, are you going to say amen and send us home and never tell us to come back here again? No, of course not. But the very fact is, is that all of us are in need of a Savior. Every single person that has ever been born from the moment they've been born needs a Savior to make us worthy to stand in the presence of Jesus. There's a verse in John, and Jesus declares, I am the way, the truth, and the life. What's the next line? No one. Say no one. No one comes to the Father except through me. No one. That's right. None of us can come to the Father without Jesus. Which means all of us, whether you're online, whether you're in person, or whether you can't hear the words out of my mouth because you're not here, all of us stand equal before God. We all need Jesus. Especially this one. He takes after his mother. And I can make fun of her because she's home sleeping. Because she worked three nights in a row. I can't do night shift very well. I was up way too late Friday, Thursday night and Friday night because I drink coffee too late. And my wife was working and I was home alone working myself. And I was like, I can't do night shift. I'm not good at it. But the fact is, is that we all stand equal in front of God. And so what do we do? Well, God says, there's nothing you can do. So I'm going to send you someone. I'm going to send you someone. I'm going to make a way for you to be in my presence. And why would God ever do that? The simple fact is, is that God loves us because God created us. Too often, too many of us believe that God is inaccessible. Say inaccessible. Too many of us think that God is inaccessible. You know, I, I, I pray that I would never have a disability that would, would not allow me to go to certain places. In other words, I pray that I never end up in a wheelchair. Because I could not even walk into our own building or roll into our own building. Because it's inaccessible. But you know what? God is accessible to all people. God is accessible to all people, regardless of gender, regardless of class, regardless of ability or disability, regardless of culture, regardless of what part of town we grew up in. God is accessible to all people. And I'm going to prove it to you this morning through this reading from Luke chapter 2, 1 to 8. And this is what it says. You've probably heard it before, especially if you've watched Charlie Brown. This is what it says. Luke chapter 2, 1 to 8. At the time, the Roman Emperor Augustus decreed a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. This was the first census taken when Quirinius was governor of Syria. All returned to their own ancestral towns to register for the census. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. He traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee. He took with him Mary, his fiancée, who was now obviously pregnant. Let's pause there for a minute because I'm a little unsure of something. And ladies, you're going to have to help me out. If a woman is obviously pregnant, are you allowed to, to, to make a comment that she's obviously pregnant? Oh, okay. Good. If she's obviously pregnant but she's not pregnant, are you allowed to say something? Okay, good. 
I think we're doing okay then. I don't know why the men answered that question, but okay. She was obviously pregnant. And while they were there in Bethlehem, the time came for her baby to be born. She gave, so obviously pregnant. Is that like the whining and the complaining is taken to a whole other level? Is that the obvious side of it? Like, is it the I'm hungry but I have no room to put food in my belly kind of thing? You figure out what that means, the obvious. Anyways, while they were there, it was time for the baby to be born. Do you think Mary really complained though? I mean, she was rather special. I mean, she was carrying the Son of God. Do you think Mary really complained? I think Mary was uncomfortable. I think Mary complained. Joseph, this donkey is not leather-coated seating. This donkey doesn't have heated seats. You forgot to get a new air freshener for this donkey, Joseph. I'm pretty sure, riding the back of a donkey, obviously pregnant, there was some complaint. Joseph, why did you have to be from Bethlehem? Why do we have to go all this way? You know, she was probably not quite like that, but she was human. All right, get to the point, Pastor Gary. While they were there, it was time for her to give birth. She gave birth to her firstborn child, a son. Oh, didn't the angel say she was going to have a girl? No. Look at that. My kids are paying attention. That was a test for them. And she gave birth to a son. She wrapped him in strips of cloth, laid him in a manger, because there was no lodging available for them. And verse 8, we get to the good part. You know, it's funny, I didn't need to read all that for today, but we're going to keep going because it's a good story. That night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks by night. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord, Lord's glory surrounded them. You know, I really like the King James version of that one. And it says, the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and it says they were sore afraid. I don't think we speak like that very much, very often. But it says, they were terrified. Can everyone do me a terrified face? Show me your scared face. You guys all have masks on. It's hilarious. I can't see it at all. Here's a, if you're online, take a picture of yourself doing a scaredy face and throw it in the comments if you're on Facebook today. And it says, they were terrified. But, but... Pay atten- when, the, when the Bible says the word but, pay attention. But the angel reassured them, don't be Good job. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to some people. No. All people. The Savior. Yes, the Messiah. Capital M. The Messiah. The Lord has been born in Bethlehem today. The city of David. And you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped in snuggly strips of cloth lying in a manger. Suddenly the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and peace on earth to those whom God is pleased. A Savior is born in Bethlehem today. Why is this a good news? Well, I think you understand by a few statements ago when I said that none of us are worthy to stand in the presence of God. So what is the good news? The good news is that finally we have a bridge. Finally, there is a bridge between us and God, the Messiah. 
Finally, we are able to know God. Finally, we are able to have the assurance that we can know God. And to top it off, the gift to know God is free. Why is this good news? Well, what's interesting about this story is who the angel actually appeared to. For example, back in the time when Jesus lived, whenever a family would give birth, now just imagine if this is what happened today. I mean, we still kind of do this a little bit, right? A child is born, a family back in the day would actually hire someone as a herald, and they would march around town declaring so-and-so had a baby boy, or usually a baby boy. If it was a girl, it wasn't as big of a deal. We'll get to that another day. But if they had a son, it, was, it brought great honor to the family because they recognized that a son meant that the promise of God could be fulfilled through that child. Anyways, again, story for another day. But they would hire someone for the birth announcement, and they would say, hey, pay attention. Guess what? Good news. So-and-so had a son. Now, we kind of do that today. We go on our phones. We take all these pictures, and we put them on Facebook, and then we share them, and, and grandparents, they share them, and aunts and uncles, they like them and love them, and you see all the little hearts all over Facebook posts, and you see a friend that's had a baby, and they got the one-month-old pictures up there, and you like it all over again. You feel all warm and fuzzy inside and all of these things. We make a big deal about it, and rightfully so. When a child is born, there is a lot of joy present because this life is new. It's been brought into the world, and there's something about a child that just stirs up excitement in others. And so a family would hire a firstborn, especially if they had a firstborn side, they'd make a huge deal about it as a symbol of God's blessing. And we see as the Father has sent his Son to this earth, Jesus, we see his Father put a big smile on his face and say, look, world, look down here in this tiny little feeding trough. This little baby, big smile on daddy's face. That's my son. And I am going to tell the world that that is my son because my son is my son and I love him dearly. And so he sends the multitude of angels And they can help but celebrate the birth of this baby because this is God's son. God took the example of the culture and heralded the birth of his own son. Now Mary and Joseph, they were not wealthy people. They came from a part of the country that wasn't known for its wealth. Joseph was mere carpenter, not very high on the social status ladder. And we learn further reading when they go to the temple to give a sacrifice. We know just by the gift that they bring that they're not very wealthy people at all. In fact, they're a little bit more on the poor side. And so there's no way that they could hire someone to herald the birth of their son. But God says it doesn't matter. I will take care of it. And he sends the angels to the shepherds nonetheless. And they begin to share how excited they are about the birth of this little baby. It's exactly what God does. The first announcement of the Messiah, notice who it doesn't go to. Notice who the angel doesn't show up to. The angel doesn't go to the scribes. He doesn't go to the Pharisees. He doesn't go to the Roman emperor. He doesn't go to Caesar Augustus. He announces the birth of his son to the lowest ranking people who hold the most embarrassing job, the shepherds. 
Now, shepherds today are cool because we're not really around shepherds very often. We don't rely on them the same way. You could go to the other side of Dryden. There's a little place called Agley's Sheep Farm. You can see sheep there in modern-day shepherds, and you can buy all kinds of warm, fuzzy sheep things and warm things to keep your feet warm, your hands warm, your heads warm in the wintertime. But in Jesus' day, shepherds were not a big deal. In fact, shepherds were known as the worst of the worst. What I think is amazing is that one of the greatest kings Israel ever had was David. And you know who David was? How did David start out? He started out as a shepherd. Because David was the youngest son. The youngest son got the worst jobs. You know, people talk about the youngest being spoiled the most. I think parents are just tired and they go, yeah, 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 whatever. Speaking out of experience here. Well, how come he gets to have that for breakfast? I just don't care. It's okay. He's going to be a shepherd. He stinks. It's not got nothing left for him. He's going to have to be a shepherd. He's going to have the worst job in the world. You'll be thankful next time the toilet's clogged that it's him doing it and not you. So get over it. It's the job for the youngest son. It's the worst job in the world. So we're going to make, it's one of the most dangerous jobs because there's wolves, there's lions. We're going to make the youngest do it because he's not important. The firstborn son, now, oh, protect his life. He's valuable. He's the firstborn son. He's going to carry on the family name. But the youngest son, no, he gets to be a shepherd. Just away from everybody else, he gets to be a shepherd. Pardon me? Can you not do that? Sit up, please. Do you have something you need to say? Pardon me? Thank you. So, three reasons the shepherds would feel distant from God. Well, the first one is they felt unworthy, and culture said they were. They were the outcasts of Israel. From the very beginning of their job, the shepherds were taught that they are not good enough. You are just a shepherd. You will never be good enough. And part of the reason was is they were kind of nomads. They were wanderers, literally. The job took them on the road. They could never come to the temple, so they were ceremonially unclean. They could never enter the presence of the known way to come to God because they were always unclean because of the job that they did. Santa Claus is coming, guys. She's here. Physically, they were dirty because they worked in the fields with sheep, and sheep are not smart animals. They are the dumbest animal to work with. They are dirty, and they will make you dirty by having to be around them. And so by nature, they became dirty. And coming into contact with them, even if someone were to enter the presence of the shepherd, they would become unclean. So then they couldn't go to the temple. And so they were just told to stay away from God. They felt unworthy, and they were told that they were unworthy. Number two, they felt inadequate. They were uneducated. And so they felt like they never measured up to the rest of society. If you ever feel inadequate, 
or if you ever want to feel inadequate, here's what I want you to do. Start comparing yourself to somebody else. All right? If you ever want to feel inadequate about something, start comparing yourself to somebody else. I mean, I'm Pastor Gary. I mean, if I start comparing myself to someone like uh, insert famous pastor here, it'd be very easy for me to start to feel inadequate. Well, look at that church. I mean, they pastor tens of thousands of peoples and hundreds of millions of dollars. Did you know what I've learned from, from meeting some big church pastors? is that they have 100 million more problems than we do. Because the fact is, is that God doesn't call you to be someone else, so don't compare yourself to someone else. God doesn't call Pastor Gary to be like Pastor John in Marathon. doesn't call me to be like, uh, whatever, fill in the blank. God doesn't want me to compare myself to them. Now, we can look at people and be inspired and say, oh, you know, I really like the way that they work. I really like the things that they say. I want to I work on myself and become better and stronger and more equipped and yada, yada, yada. Fill in the blank. And that's all fine and good. But the moment we start to compare ourselves to something is the moment we begin to die a little on the inside. It's the moment we begin to feel inadequate. And the moment we start to feel inadequate, our motivation goes from here straight to the bottom. Our desire for everything that we love starts to plummet. All the things that we're about start to fail. You know, I think even spiritually we do this. We make excuses. Well, you know, so-and-so, Pastor Katie, she's super spirit. I mean, she's pastor. She's pastor. You know, there's, there's a reason I tell people to call me Gary. And it's sometimes Pastor Gary, depending on the situation. But I want people to know that just because I have the title pastor, they, they would know that I'm certainly not perfect. Because believe it or not, pastors are far from perfect. We're human just like everybody else. I may stand on the stage, you may think, oh, Pastor Gary's way up there. He must be way more spiritual than me. Or, or Frank, he's been a Christian for a long time. I'm going to pick on Frank. So, you know, I could never be as spiritual as Frank. You know, he's had like 60 years of practice, by the way. Then there's Bill, even more. But it's so easy to start to feel inadequate. You know what? If you want to be a more spiritual person, if you want to be spiritual like so-and-so, then set a goal and take some steps to become that. But don't become that because so-and-so is that way. Take that next step because God wants you to be closer to him. That's really what being more spiritual is all about anyway. You know... You may know a lot about God. You can read through the Bible. You can study it for the whole life and not actually know God. We talked about that a couple of months, about a month and a bit ago. But don't you dare measure yourself and compare yourself to someone else because that's when you're going to start to feel inadequate. And even if you do feel inadequate, know this, that God is for all people. Number three, why did the shepherds feel distant from God? They felt unloved. In reality, most of them were actually thieves. Um, and the sad part is, is even the ones that weren't thieves were thought of as thieves. Uh, they were not trusted. People wanted to stay far distant from them. Uh, if they wanted to get married, no father would ever let their daughter marry a shepherd. How dare? <laughs> How dare you fall in love with a shepherd? 
They were unloved. And the reality is, is so tragically, that's the way that many people feel today. They feel unworthy, they feel inadequate, but most of all, they feel unloved. I think this has got to be one of the biggest reasons people don't want to get close to God. Is they just, they just don't think God loves them. They just don't think God loves them. And yet, there is a room full of people in front of me. There is an audience online paying attention to the words that I'm saying. And God has called us to be his hands and his feet. If I were to ask you this question, I've asked some of you in recent weeks, who is the light of the world? What would your answer be? Ronan, you're wrong. Rebecca, you are right. Jesus says that we are the light of the world. A city on a hill that cannot be hidden. If we have decided to follow Jesus, if you have made that decision and Christ has come alive inside of you, if the dead is gone, the new has come, then the world around you will start to look a little bit brighter because God lives inside you and you're standing in a dark world. If you light a match in a dark room, there will be light. Because anytime you turn on the light, the darkness has to go away. And so, I would just challenge us and say, for the people that feel unloved, as the followers of Jesus, we need to find the people that are unloved, that feel unloved, and surround them and shower them and love them and bless them and, and, and show them the fact that God loves them so much. The moments that I feel inadequate, unworthy, or unloved is the moment where I can turn to my Father and look at all the blessings in my life. I can look at all the things that his people have done for me, that have given to me, and allowed me to be a part of. And I can know that I'm loved by God. My story for closing today is this. Some of you would know a little bit of my history. Some of you don't. But I grew up in a single-parent home. Didn't know who my dad was until I was in grade 10. We started, I literally dragged my mom to church when I was like five years old. I said, Mom, we're going to start going to church. And through a series of events, we ended up at the church at the hill, which was New Life Assembly in, in Sioux Lookout, Ontario. And growing up with a single mom, all of my friends had dads. But you know what? I never felt left out. I never felt inadequate when someone was going fishing their dad and my friend would come over to my house, they'd pick me up, and we would go fishing with them. When we were doing uh, projects and building, when every year we'd have to cut the firewood, it was kind of a father-son thing. Every year, little Gary was invited to be a part of what all the men were doing because they wanted me to know that even though I didn't have a dad at home, that I was still worthy of love. And even though I didn't have a physical dad in my home, I could give you a list of a long list of names of fathers that I've had in my life. I cannot tell people I grew up without a father because I have the long list to prove it. And at the top of the list, I have the most important name of all, and that is my heavenly father. And he has proven himself and his love for me over and over and over and over and over again. And yet, here's the thing that happens. 
the little voice inside my head, when something doesn't go my way, when something doesn't go the way that I expect it to, or someone cheats me out of something that is owing to me, or I start to compare myself and feel inadequate, and I can go and say, well, I'm not like them because I never had a dad in my life. Boo-hoo-hoo, woe is me. And every time I say that, it's almost like a slap in the face to my Heavenly Father. Because he goes, Gary, I have given you everything you possibly need. I have loved you from the start, from the moment that you were born. From before you were born, from the moment you were formed in your mother's womb. Gary, I know that you're beyond that. Because I have given you everything that you possibly need. And so then I have a humbling moment before God and recognize, yeah, you're right, God. I I need you. I am inadequate without you, God. I am unworthy without you. And God, without you in my life, I am certainly unloved. But so many people don't come to God because they feel like he hates them. God does not hate you this morning. You know what God hates? God hates the sin in your life. He hates the things that you do that are like a smack in the face to him. He hates the things that you do that hurt other people, the ones that he cares about. But when it comes to your soul and who you are, God loves you. Which is why he sent Jesus. It's why he proclaimed to the shepherds the lowest of the low. Look, the angels told them, God is for all people. And to prove it to you, I'm going to go to the lowest of the low of society and I'm going to give them the good news first. I'm going to give them the good news first. I'm going to tell them that there's hope for them first because they are ready to receive some good news. They are tired of being unloved. They are tired of being unwanted. They are tired of feeling unworthy or inadequate. It's time that the lowest of the low start to feel that they are loved and seen by their Heavenly Father. And so I am going to give them the good news first. And not only that, they go, they find Mary, they find Joseph, they see the signs that God has given to them. And then they can't help but be filled with joy for the things that they have seen. For what the angel told them was true. And so they couldn't keep it to themselves. They went throughout the entire town and the village declaring that the Messiah has come. That God is for all people. The shepherds, no one wanted to be around them. They kept their distance. And they, in turn, kept their distance from others. And here in this moment, none of that mattered. They marched to the streets of Bethlehem and beyond and declared that the Messiah had been born. No longer were they unworthy because God was for all people. The angel told them and the angel was right. Today, Romans 3, 20-22 says, For no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. 21, but now God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law, as was the promise in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. Verse 22, here's what's important this morning. We are made right by God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who you are. Those are the words from Paul, the very person who used to kill Christians and persecute them. 
God was for a murderer. God saved and redeemed and used a murderer of his, the people that he had called. This is true for everyone. Whoever believes, no matter who you are. A few weeks ago, we showed the movie Polar Express, and it's all about believing in Christmas, believing in the North Pole, kind of a cute little story. At the end of the movie, it was kind of this cute moment, sitting here with the kids. They asked the question, you know, they ring the bell, and if they believe, they can hear the bell ring. So I leaned over to my kids and I said, do you believe? Big smile on their face. I believe. Cutest moment ever, right? This morning, the question is, do we really believe that God loves us? Because the moment we truly believe that God loves us is our first step of faith. It's our first step of faith to go, well, obviously I believe God's real. And if I believe God loves us, that he doesn't want me to be who I once was. That he actually wants to do something inside of me that's new and exciting. And so today my question to you is, do you believe? Do you believe? We can't earn God's acceptance. But he gives us grace and he gives us new life. Because the salvation he offers is free. If we had to earn it, then that some of us would be left behind. Because some of us couldn't measure up. Some of us would be unable to do the things that we need to do. And so God says, look, this Messiah, he's for all people. You don't have to do anything. I'll take care of it. You thought the world was going to go one way. You thought your plans were going to go this way. But here's the thing. This is what God says to us. I'll take care of it. I will make it right. If you're feeling inadequate, if you feel unworthy, if you feel unloved, don't worry about it. I will take care of it. I've sent my son to be for all people. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your goodness. I thank you, O Lord that there is none like you. Lord, I know that religion says I have to work hard. And if I have to work hard, I might not please God. But God, you sent your son, Jesus, to come to this world as that little baby, as a real person. You sent him to a humble couple. Lord, because you said that you value the relationship more than you value religion. Lord, we know that religion says I have to work hard, and if I work hard, I might please God. But God, we know that the relationship means because I'm already accepted by you, because you already love me, you have already done the work necessary. You sent Jesus and you already did the work that was necessary. And so, God, I give you thanks for your work today. I give you thanks for your work of sending Jesus to be our Savior, to be our Messiah. Lord, we know that the cost of our wrongdoing, the cost of our sin was a great price. But, Lord, you told us not to worry about it. Jesus, you told us not to worry about it. You said, I will take care of it. 
So God, I thank you today. I thank you today for our salvation. I thank you that we can have the faith to believe that we are saved by you. Pray that you would come alive inside of us and you would use us much like you used the shepherds to proclaim that you are good. And Lord, for those of us that are still on this journey, for those of us that are still unsure, oh God, Lord, we know that you are for us. Would you give us the faith to believe, oh God? Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.